Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Edric Show. This is episode three of our series, Black History and Progress. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Let us know how we're doing. Leave us a comment. And of course, this is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. And on today's episode of Black History and Progress, we're going to focus on seeking a lifestyle of balance. My guest is William K. Wesley. He is the author of Full Life Balance, which explores the five keys to living a good life. William also has over 25 years of experience in management and all aspects of financial services, including stints as a financial advisor, bank branch manager, and former vice president of investor education. He is an author, motivational speaker, and corporate training. He also holds a master of business administration and a doctor of jurisprudence, and I want to welcome William to the show. William, how are you, sir? I am thriving, my friend. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. So let's get right into it. Um, first question, uh, tell me about your book, Full Life Balance, and uh, what motivated you to write it? Got it. Well, th let's go back and do a quick run-up in terms of bio. So I'm a kid from the projects, Baby Hunters Point, San Francisco. Um, came up in, <clears throat> excuse me, a family... Um, Loving family. Father, unfortunately, was alcoholic and so abusive to my mom. So we had that uh, sort of that chronic stress that imagine a bear coming home to your house as a little boy. And sometimes the bear is nice and sometimes the bear is mean. And you don't know which bear you're going to see. Mm. And that creates chronic stress. And a lot of, unfortunately, uh, people of African descent suffer from that because finances and all these other things that cause that. Um, luckily, at about eight years old, my mom got out of that relationship, and by 11, she had met the man I modeled myself after, who was a, a late um, military drill sergeant uh, who actually worked for the Marines. He was a master sergeant during the Korean conflict, Mr. Bob Campbell. Anyway, so I had two childhoods. One was this, oh, stressful and rarely enough to eat childhood, and then the other, it's almost like rich dad, poor dad, but I'll say <laughs> poor dad lower middle class then, right? <laughs> and so uh, it's a whole different environment, a whole different world work uh, that came into my life. And I learned a number of key things. But unfortunately, I too ended up suffering from the disease of alcoholism. And I went through a very interesting stint. So my life had some very interesting plays and ups and downs. And by the time I finally came out of the woods and was able to get myself together, I realized in the process of getting myself together, I was able to go back to school and get my degrees and actually become a better husband, a better father, went through a divorce and ended up marrying the right woman and able to take responsibility for my actions instead of putting it all on someone else, which is addictive and, and type of behavior where it's always someone else's fault. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So long story short, I began to craft this life, literally in my 30s. And I looked up and it was about seven years later and I'd got the MBA under my belt and I got the, uh, uh, I began to teach at the university and, and do a number of things. And I realized I had developed a lifestyle. And so I thought I'd put it on paper, right? And so when I put it on paper, it was just this exercise. So that it, Right after my MBA, I began to put it on paper. I hadn't went to law school yet or I hadn't begun to teach at the university yet. Put it on paper, went to law school, got out of law school, and realized, okay, do I want to be a lawyer? And I realized that while I was going to law school, that I really didn't. I was sort of just going to law school because I was in test mode. But what I really wanted to do is take this book and this lifestyle that I had evolved into and actually write it out and begin to do something. So I 
began to teach at the university and I was lucky enough to be able to create an internship for three of my best students and they helped me bring the book forward. So that's the background. Now here's the book. Oh, and that's Golden Gate University in San Francisco, correct? Yes. Yes, it was. Thank you. Uh, So, so I ended up saying, what am I doing? What am I doing different? How did I get here? And I actually went through um, rehab at St. Helena and and I spent 30 days really looking at my life and meditating and doing all the exercises. And I realized several things. One, I got away from my spiritual self. Now, for mm-hmm. some that is going to church every morning. For others, it's meditating. For some, it's just going to the beach. And in other words, disconnecting from all of this stuff and getting inside of yourself and saying there's something greater than me. And for me, I believe there's something that governs all activity, the good and the bad. And I began to sort of subscribe to it in a way that Every day I spend some time just at peace and let that what I call the natural spirit flow through me. I got away from anything like that. Also, physically, I was out of shape. I mean, I wasn't huge or anything. I just, I wasn't jogging. I wasn't playing tennis. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't releasing endorphins. I wasn't releasing the stress and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I began to do that. More tennis, more jogging, more working out. I developed a little ritual I do every day in terms of just basic stretching. Then three, and this is probably the most important, emotionally, I was a bad partner in a bad marriage, but I was blaming my ex for Mm. everything. When I came through clarity, I realized I was a bad partner in a bad marriage. And I realized now that I was meeting this new person who ends up being my wife, my current and and final wife, Mm -hmm. um, I realized, one, I'm not perfect. I'm not always right. I realized that I have to take some responsibility. And if I hold you to a standard, oh, you made a mistake, but not hold myself to that same standard, that's unfair. So what I began to do is look at myself more. And I spend about three or four minutes at the end of every day just sort of reflecting on my interactions. Was I a good man? Was I a person my grandmother mm-hmm. would say, that's my grandson. And therefore, it caused me to have to make more apologies, right? <laughs> because none of us are perfect. And so if I make a mistake i should be able to accept that mistake and ask for forgiveness but also allow you to make a mistake because you're human too right so i can't hold you to this excellent right. standard when i'm making mistakes so that emotional piece which brings more stability and comfort in your life when a person i'm talking with my wife i think i'm right but i might not be but i'm going for it and sometimes it's like you know <laughs> let's reset right? yeah yeah <laughs> i'm yeah. off right and she's like okay and then we have a better conversation. But but there's a trust factor in that, right? I mean, there, yes, there's a is. huge trust factor in, in the ability to allow for mistakes and forgiveness, because without that, uh, I don't think it works, right? I think you're absolutely right. So it takes what it takes. And we're dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a different person if I'm hungry or sleepy or mm-hmm. well, the moon can be in a certain way. So it's not like once you get it, it's locked. It is a dynamic thing you're constantly working on. And your spouse is dynamic. It's not just us. She's going through what she goes through. And between the two of us, we've decided to be together forever. But we also know perfect is imperfect. Mm -hmm. Meaning, if if you say, okay, I want everything perfect, that's probably when you're dead. There's no issue. There's no up or down. Everything else is we're here in this mix. And we know there's going to be this thing. And that is the perfect relationship. There is Mm -hmm. no perfect nothing ever happens relationship. That's not communicating. It's not trust. It's not living. Living is this and staying together as we go through this. And again, would, it's would dynamic. you say balanced is more attainable than perfection? Uh, absolutely, because 
I don't know what perfect, and I could say perfection is this. Perfection is the ability to live this life and recover from the bad things that happen in this life, but also will look up every day and say, hey, this is pretty cool. I'm in it. Got it. That technically is perfection, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's not dictionary perfection that says everything is 100%, but it's life perfection saying this is the way life is. So if I'm connecting with my spiritual self, connecting with my physical self, connecting with my emotional self, and then the last two keys real quickly, my professional self, I realized there were people in my same crew who had gone on to become judges and different things like that. And I was still at a very I won't say low level. I was a level below my innate ability. Sure. I've been given some gifts, right? Sure. So I, I was smart. I was smart as a seven-year-old. I was smart as a 12-year-old. I did not become unsmart. I just stopped pursuing my gifts. So the other people who were running with me continued to run. And then all of a sudden in my pit, I'm looking at them with jealousy and envy. So once I came awake, I began to realize it was me. And my dad, his he had a number of sayings, but the best saying he gave me that I took to heart was most of the things that happen to you happen because you either allow them or you cause them. Mm. Now, he knew there was sexism, there's racism, there's homophobia, but that, you know, no one's standing at the school door saying, I can't come in and study. No one's saying, you know, if I'm going to stop at the stop sign which I should do. But if I don't do it and blow through the stop sign, I'm in an accident. I can't say, oh God, I have to say, I didn't I did that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's 10,000 decisions you're going to make this year that set the trajectory of your life. So professionally, I began to learn. I began to explore. Every day I read for at least 30 minutes to an hour. I'm becoming better. I realize I'm very smart. And because I'm very smart, I realize there's so much stuff I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not very smart saying I know all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm smart enough to know, gee, there's so much stuff I don't know. So every day I'm learning some more stuff. To me, that's intelligent. Exactly. Right? And then the last piece is charitable piece. I've been blessed with some credible gifts. I didn't do anything to be born in America mm-hmm. at this point in time with access to all of these resources. Right. I could have been born in Sudan. I could have been born anywhere. I didn't do anything. And I didn't do anything to get the parents I had. Even, uh, let's say, the, the, the poor dad had some attributes, but he was he was alcoholic and he was functioning alcoholic. So he had a sickness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then the, the other dad, great guy, had a lot of attributes. And then my mom, the rock, right? When I put those three people together, that created me. I have wonderful siblings and all of that. And so I say there's something I should do. And my mom used to say, if we all gave two hours a month, we could solve all the world's problems. Hmm. So I do charitable activity and I do it for a number of reasons. One, the world needs it. But two, I feel pretty good when I do something good. Mm-hmm. Right? You get on, go to the free food program and you get on string beans and you're doling in string beans and that person walking through the line eating may be going through all kinds of things. Where are they going to sleep tonight? Will they eat again tomorrow? And then you come out and you get in your car, which has gas or it's charged. You make it to your home, which has electricity. You open your refrigerator with all that food. Not for guilt. It is just for context and have Mm -hmm. some gratitude around it. Mm -hmm. And I feel very good when I say, okay, yeah, I've been blessed and I have gratitude, but I'm also giving. And so those five things, the spiritual, the physical, the emotional, the professional, and the charitable. And I've crafted two or three tips in each one of those spaces in the Mm -hmm. book. That's a long answer to your question, but hopefully it lays the groundwork. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you referenced some of the challenges uh, in your own life that that are mm-hmm. shared by many, specifically uh, in African-American households. Uh, you know, alcoholism, substance abuse, yep. you name it. Uh, there are some some attributes that are chronically, uh, unfortunately, affecting households uh, in the African-American community. So um, as African-American people try to do what you've done, which is to literally resurrect yourself, um, you know, what are some of those obstacles that that they have to overcome? And how can specifically how can African-American people get around some of those things? Because it's easy to fall back on well, this is how it's always been and this is the way it's going to be because of who we are, not I have the ability to change things, if my question is is clear. Yeah, your question is very clear. And again, I'm a work in progress, so I don't have the answer. But if I were to point to the essential answer, it's you, mm. right? It starts with you. It starts with you analyzing you, analyzing your behavior. It starts with you uh, reducing some of this clutter, because there was a book written, George Orwell's 1984 and also Brave New World, uh, Aldous Huxley. And they talked about, Aldous Huxley talked about soma, which was basically uh, the Latin word for, for sleep. And he envisioned that we could go to a, literally a faucet in our house and drink some of this soma and it would actually relax us and basically keep us in this mellow state. So whatever was going on, mm-hmm. we wouldn't get up and react to it. Well, marijuana serves that purpose for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, all kinds of drugs and alcohol serve that purpose. But also the internet mm. serves that purpose. People live vicariously through other people. They release endorphins. People protest on the internet, which is a nothing protest. Right. Right? You right. feel like you've done something. Right. I don't like it. Or I do. Right? That's done People nothing. are warriors, it, they call them. Exactly. (laughs) And it makes that person feel that they've done something and they've literally done nothing. So what we've been given, we're the, in the history of mankind, we're the top one-tenth of one percent of all people who've ever existed in terms of the resources and as a a whole, right? right, right, In terms of the resource. And I understand there are a lot of folks who aren't in the mix and there's a lot of uh, pain and suffering in this country and in third world countries. But when you look at the overall mix, no one has ever had what we have right in front of us. That's the good news. The bad news is no one has ever had what we have in front of us, and it becomes so distracting. Mm-hmm. I can make myself feel good just by staying on the internet, or I can make myself feel bad. And by the end of the day, boom. And it's limitless. So I could do that every day and feel I'm doing something or feeling good about something, and the world continues, and I've done nothing to improve or address my circumstance. It's just like drinking all day mm-hmm. because you feel upset the death of it as black men and black people uh, they call it the death of a thousand tiny cuts in terms of what happens to us in the course of the day you may be in the supermarket line and uh, a european american teller is saying hi to everyone in front of you and when it gets to you she clams up mm-hmm. right? this happened to me most recently just a week ago now i don't want you to talk to me but what i don't want is this different behavior you don't want and, to be disrespected don't disrespect exactly. me right that's the tiny cut right And that's why a lot of us do what's called conspicuous consumption and conspicuous consumption. And I'm going to wrap it up in reference to your point in terms of what we can do, but it's inside even conspicuous consumption is, I don't know, I'm living in the projects, but I'm driving a car that costs more than the projects because Mm -hmm. when I get in that car, I feel so good because I feel so bad everywhere else. So I get it. Mm -hmm. So part of it has to say, what can I do? There's this whole macro thing going. 
But what can I do at the micro level? And the micro level is where we live. It is where I live. So I have to say, okay, what's going on with me? What am I doing every day? What am I trying to do? Am I taking steps to get to the place I want to be? Or am I just fantasizing about that place? Because if I fantasize it, like by buying lottery tickets, and when you buy a lottery tickets, you release some uh, endorphins because you <clears throat> fantasize about what you're going to do when you win the lottery. Mm-hmm. And if you can, that's a drug also, and endorphins. So I can do that every day and feel pretty good because at some point, maybe I'll win. And in the meantime, my life is in shambles. So unless I go back and say, what am I doing? What can I do to address my issues? There's help around. Most folks who work have employee assistance programs. If it's substance, if it's uh, um, gambling, if it's you know too much internet. Mm-hmm. But if I can't put the phone down, if I can't put the phone down or leave it far enough, if I can't go an hour without looking at it, I'm suffering from it. Yeah, And I don't yeah. know it. I have to get that rush. Okay, what's going on? Oh, I didn't set it down. Then you want to touch it again. If you're like that, and millions of us are, and I find myself getting caught with it now and then too. So periodically I turn my phone off. Mm-hmm. So what can we do? It starts with self. What am I doing? What am I saying I want to do? And is my behavior reflecting the thing I think I want to do? Mm-hmm. If my behavior is not, then I want to go after my behavior. Am I drinking four drinks a day? Am I smoking uh, marijuana and all of that stuff? Am I, but yeah, I mean, you might smoke a joint a day or you might smoke 12, right? Is that mm-hmm. doing something to you? If you're at 12, that's an issue. Yeah. But I'm not saying <laughs> one is okay. I'm just saying if you're spending that much time doing that thing, there's some pain. There's something you're trying to escape from. That's what we have to get to. And that's what full life balance talks about. But I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I'm just a human being who is suffering and still suffers from a lot of the things we all suffer from. And I was able to, let's say, right my ship, but I'm still sailing. So as a sailor, the the tide is up, the tide is down, the wind is blowing, right? This is not some straight, clean line. I am sailing through life like all of us are. And I'm trying to keep my sheets. And I actually do say right? I'm trying to keep everything tight. But sometimes you have to tack. You go this way and you go that way to get. You can't sail straight forward. You have to go angles to get to where you want to go. Um, you made reference to um, you gave the example of the, you know, the the nice car sitting uh, in, you know, possibly at an impoverished area or something like that. Um I know one of the things that's super important to you is financial literacy for African-Americans and people in general, and also finding balance in that aspect of, of someone's life. So uh, maybe you can talk to me now about um, how people can achieve or at least start the process of achieving financial literacy and why that is such an important to having a balanced lifestyle. Got it. The biggest reason it's so important is because there was a Price Waterhouse Cooper survey that came out a couple of years ago, and they did another one last year. And they found in the first survey, 59, if you're stressed, if you identify yourself as stressed and you're an American, 59% of the time it was financial stress. Hmm. That numbers went up to 62%. Financial stress causes, you know, chronic illnesses. It causes missed days of work. It destroys relationships. It is the biggest stressor. Hmm. So what do we do? The biggest thing we can do is actually craft a budget. My grandmother used to say, it's not how much money you make, it's actually what you spend. 
the biggest single thing we can do, and I've been a, a money coach and I've coached folks who make 223,000, they spend 240 and they're staring at the ceiling at night because they're stressed. I've also worked with folks who made 72,000 and they had six months worth of expenses set aside in an emergency fund and they sleep like a, a baby. Mm-hmm. It's not what you make. It is crafting a lifestyle around what you make and live within that. Now, if you want to make more, make more. But don't make 73 and spend 110. How do you do that? That's called credit card. Mm -hmm. So that's job one. Reduce financial stress. Now, you can't, I don't say you can't, but normally you can't do this overnight, right? It's taken years to get to where you are. So if you have $19,000 of credit card debt at 17% interest, yeah, you're not going to be well tomorrow. But there are programs out there there are coaches out there. There are folks out there that say, okay, here's the story. We're going to craft a budget. Now, inside of crafting that budget, there's going to be a little bit of pain, right? I saw, a, not a bumper sticker, a t-shirt <laughs> that said, um, I, let's see, I can help you solve your problems, but it's going to hurt, right? Mm-hmm. And like, it's going to hurt, right? Mm-hmm. So this stuff is not easy. So if you're spending more than you're making, you have to craft a budget. And here's a budget. One, I look at my income. Not with overtime, just what I make, what actually comes into the house. Two, I break that out into three key categories. And again, this is a stress reducer. I'm going to look at these three categories. One is called fixed expenses. That's the amount I have to spend every single month. Like the mortgage is the same number, or the the rent's the same number, the the car note, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Normally, I can't massage that too much. But then you have variable expenses. Variable expenses, you know, Am I doing DoorDash seven days a week? I could spend $2,000 to eat or I could spend $500 to eat and still be fine. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of us, it's in there because eating is such a satisfying thing and it releases so much good feeling. A lot of us eat when we're stressed, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to have to sort of get our arms around that, but we're going to have to dedicate an amount that we're able to say, and that's where the action is, variable expenses. I could buy every... Um, ticket for every concert in the San Francisco Bay Area, including Warriors games and spend $10,000 in a month. Or I could just watch a movie at home. Right. So that's a variable expense. And that's normally where we can make some adjustments. And some of those adjustments may sting, but some of them are so obvious and they don't sting. Like if you have Hulu and Showtime and HBO and something else, unless you're a Hollywood director, right? That's too many subscriptions right so we're going to cancel some of that and if you have a gym membership and you haven't been to the gym in 30 days we're going to cancel that because you may have signed up in jet right so we're going to comb through everything and say okay is that a wise use of my dollar and some things so if i have 19 percent interest on seventeen thousand dollars in credit card debt and i'm contributing 12 percent to my 401k we don't say stop your 401k but we may say suspend at least down just to the match for a few months where we knock off that 19%. Right. That's costing us more than right. the return we're getting in our 401k. Okay. okay. So we're going to comb through our variable and make some adjustments and take a hit. But we're not saying, I mean, you can't eat. We're not saying you have to sit in the darkness. We're just saying, let's get rid of some of that fluff. And a lot of us, if both of us are working, there's some fluff in a lot of our, our, our budgets. And then we go to the third category of expenses, and that's called irregular expenses. Christmas tends to come every year, and so does Thanksgiving, and so does DMV. And a lot of us spend six, $800 on Christmas. 
when Christmas comes, we'll swipe that credit card. But what if we said, you know what, if I spend $600 on Christmas, what if I begin to set aside $40 or $50 a month? So when Christmas comes, I have $570 mm-hmm. or something like that. Again, that's part of my budget. DMV and and maybe is, a little bit of interest on top of that, depending on the it, type of account you set it aside in. There you go. Right. Right. Now, so all of these things sort of tie in. Now, once you craft this budget, it's going to take a, you know, a few weeks or so to craft it. And then it's going to take a m- months for it to basically change your life. Because what you'll begin to see is, you know what? And I would say there's extra money. There, there's money because I've cut this down. And then I begin to throw the money in the appropriate places. Like most Americans don't have at least two or three months worth of expenses set aside. So now I want to uh, look at my emergency fund. What does it cost for me to live? 3300 How much do I have set aside that I don't touch? 1200 That's good. But now the goal, as I've crafted this new plan, is to peel off two or $300 a month that goes into the emergency. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm going to set up, a, to your point about accounts, a lot of us, people of African descent, have the traditional bank account, even our churches. Uh, years ago, when I was with Schwab, I went around to about 40 churches in the Bay Area and did all kinds of presentations with the idea of, Instead of having that 0.1 or 0.2, or back then it's a 2% bank account that your dad as the pastor had, but now you at the church and the building fund is getting 1%, when the U.S. government bond at the time was 4.5%, right. not the stock market, right? the right. U.S. government bond. And uh, so it was a great thing. None of the churches I opened zero accounts, hmm. Right. And some of these churches had a million five in the corner B of A, Wells Fargo, that kind of thing. Now, our churches are a microcosm of how we act because we're doing it with our church money. You know, a lot of us are doing it with Mm -hmm. our individual money. So here's Mm -hmm. the point. I can go to B of A or Chase or Wells Fargo or City right now and open up a basic savings account and ask what the interest rate is. It's 0.1, 0.2, maybe 0.5, maybe 1% if I put over $50,000 in. It's FDIC insured. It's not an investment. It's a place I put money. So when the check for this house has to clear, it has to clear. Stock market up, stock market down. Right. I get it. But if the the what if I there was an FDIC insured account in an online form, like I can go to bankrate.com and the it lists the highest interest online, FDIC insured, that's the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Every legitimate bank has to pay an insurance premium to the FDIC which says if they go belly up, if they go bankrupt, you and I get our money back. Okay, so if I can go online and get FDIC, or I can go brick and mortar at my corner bank and get FDIC, then the only comparison now is interest rate. And I can go to bankrate.com right now, and I can't recommend and I won't, but I'll give you who's there. American Express, Capital One, Mm -hmm. Ally, Discover, and all of them are paying upwards of 3.75% FDIC insured. I get right now 4% on my emergency savings. Mm-hmm. And based on my informal surveys, the majority of people who look like us have our savings in a brick and mortar bank getting 0.1 or 0.2 or 0.3%. So it's not just now I craft a budget. It is with every dollar, give that dollar an actual job in the best possible place. Taxes, if you're giving back a $12,000 refund, that's way too much money to give the government and let them hold it for a year and give it back. 
Why would you do that to the government? Maybe you help your daughter start a business or your son buy a house and say, okay, you don't have to pay me any interest, but in three years, I want my money. But why would you do that right. for a year with your money to the IRS? Right. So we say, adjust your withholding. Again, what I'm making the point is, at every level of my money, I want to do it the right way. If I do it the right way, I'll be on the path of reducing my financial stress. Hmm. I'll be able to double down on my credit card debt because I'm not spending $1,200 a month to eat. For one person, it should be five or $600. I'll be able to increase the contribution to my daughter's education savings account. I'll be able to then build a little more in my emergency fund and I'll have my money in wise places. When I get a tax return of 12,000, I've had folks say, well, William, that's my savings. Yeah, that's not saving. No, <laughs> you're saving, right? Getting back 1500 and putting that other $9,000 in my regular paycheck. So I'm getting three or $400 more each month. And then I auto pay that into a 4% online FDIC insured account. That's mm -hmm. saving. Mm -hmm. That's saving. Okay. So, my point is we want to click through all of these buttons and it results in less stress. It doesn't solve all your bill paying problems in one day, but it puts you on a path to say, okay, if I can do this in this way, in six months, I'll have some emergency fund. And in 15 months, I'm out of credit card debt. And if I craft a plan that says I live on what I make, then I don't use my credit card for monthly operational expenses. I don't get to the 26th of the month and I'm out of money in my checking account and I swipe the credit card for gas and food. And yeah. millions of us do that. Yeah. And that's a stressful way because now I have to, you know, the average credit card interest rate is upwards of 17% and very few investments. There are no investments that are guaranteeing getting 17%. No legitimate. Right. Bernie I was going to say. <laughs> right. It's friends helping friends. Right. 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 Um, my last question for you as we as we get ready to wrap up is the, the thing I'm hearing through all of your answers from the beginning where we talked about balance to your own recovery to, uh, the, you know, spending, you know, the the quality time with with your, your wife and um, finances. I, I there's an element of time associated with all of these um, getting your financial house in order takes time, but you have the advantage of time. Talk to me about the time aspect of all of these entities, because it, it feels like it touches upon every step that you've articulated about a balanced lifestyle has something to do with time management or managing time or being more uh, in tune with time. And people say great questions, but you ask very, very, very good questions. I mean, that's the thing. And here's what we know. The average American spends 5.2 hours a day watching TV, mm. right? So we sit there and that's Soma, right? Mm -hmm. We're sitting mm -hmm. there and we're just, duh. So it is going to take some time. So, and I suggest we cut into our television time. I suggest for those who want to develop themselves further, get the additional certification, get promoted on the job, that we say instead of 5.2 hours, what if there's only two hours a night? And then we use an hour for studying or certification or whatever. What if we used... What if we have kids and everyone's sitting at the table with their phones? What if we said, okay, at dinner time there are no phones because we need to make sure we have a relationship. And the key component, that fact, there's a Harvard study. It's been going on almost 100 years now. And this study tracked men out of Boston initially. John F. Kennedy was one of those men. And when he became president, his records had to be removed. This study 
over these years, hundreds of thousands of hours, hundreds of thousands of interviews where people were started at 17 and then 19 died at 84 years old. And they tracked these people throughout their lives. The single most important factor for a long and healthy, healthy life was a relationship, mm. a healthy relationship. Now, healthy relationships aren't always smiling and always laughing. Healthy by its very definition is the up and down and recovery. And it was relationships. And the single most important factor of relationships is communication. And the single most important factor of communication is listening. Now, you normally don't do a lot of that when you're on your phone. And you normally don't do a lot of that communication and listening when you're watching TV. That happens at the one-on-one -on -one interaction with people. So all the things I talk about take time. And if we're spending all of this time doing this other stuff, these things don't work. We have to say, you know what? I'm going to limit my TV time to I can watch one movie a night or I can watch a movie a night or I'm going to watch you know, a sports event at night or I'm just going to give myself some blah time. I can do two hours of just duh. Right? Mm -hmm. And I can sit there and go duh right, mm -hmm. for two hours. But I'm not going to do five hours. And at some point in that evening, I'm going to do something. Maybe I'm talking to my kids. Maybe I'm having another conversation with my spouse. Maybe I'm reading a book. I'm doing something to improve my circumstance. And based on what we just talked about, maybe it's just outlining what am I going to do to be better in terms of what I want to do. I want the $80,000 Tesla. Right now, I can't afford it. But what if I crafted a plan, adjusted my budget and say, okay, if I could save an extra two or $300 a month for the next 18 months as I knock off these other things and tighten up my credit score and all of that, I might be ready at the fall of 2025. And that's a nice aspirational goal. Instead of buying a lottery ticket, I can sit there and fantasize about the car and mm -hmm. release endorphins, mm -hmm. right? And all of that stuff. And mm -hmm. not just fantasize and say, you know what? I'm actually doing the work. So I'm feeling good about the work. So to your question, it does take time. And that's where we get into budgeting of our time, where we mm -hmm. get into prioritizing of our time and we get into discipline saying, can I do a little bit every day towards this goal. And that's how the, some of the greatest things that happen. It's some stuff every day. They didn't build the pyramids in one day and all those right. days. And they didn't. <laughs> it right. took day after day, brick after brick. Everything does. None yeah. of this stuff is instantaneous. The only thing in our lives was we were born in that moment. Mm -hmm. Everything mm -hmm. else, we, how did you learn to walk? I wasn't there, but here's what happened, right? right. You stumbled, you <laughs> fell, you got up, right? And at some point, because you have tenacity and it was in you at zero and it's still in you, you can do all kinds of things. The fact that you learned how to walk and would not stop until you walk, that shows the DNA strength that's in you. It's in all of us. And so you tap into that, nothing can stop you. If you don't tap into that and we keep ourselves covered with all this stuff, it becomes easy to slide through this thing in this long gray line. And all of a sudden we come out of the backside at 79 years old saying, dang it, sure mm -hmm. wish I would have done this mm -hmm. or that. Mm -hmm. Well, William, uh, I want to thank you so much for sharing your insights and your story and your wisdom uh, about the, the goal of trying to live a balanced lifestyle and a healthy lifestyle. And I think you're an example of folks who might be going through something that um, you know, there is hope, there is opportunity. Uh, it can get better um, with, as you said, discipline and being able to uh, plan and follow through your plan because uh, anybody can change their circumstances. And so, again, I want to thank you for coming on Black History in Progress, our special series. 
on the Edric Show. Uh, if people want more information about you uh, or the book Full Life Balance, where can they go? They can go to www.fulllifebalance.com. That's F U L L L I F E. And then the word balance, B A L A N C E.com. And the tagline with Full Life Balance is live better every day. It doesn't mean it's automatic, but it's in the, it's a gradual process of living better each day. Excellent. Thank you so much, William. Really appreciate my, it. My pleasure, Edric. Look forward to seeing you again. All right. This has been another edition of The Edric Show, our series, Black History in Progress. Shout out to my co-host, Benita Knuckles, who will be joining us on the next episode. This is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. Go ahead and hit that like button, and we will catch you on the next episode.